everyone, and welcome to Growing Woman. I am your host, Christina Singh, and Growing Woman is a show all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Man, I am so happy you're here. I am so happy to be releasing, release, I can't talk apparently right off the bat. Here we go. I'm so happy to be releasing another episode of this show. I love doing this. I love, love talking to people and talking to you all. And, you know, right away, I just want to say thank you. Uh, After the episode with Jackie Patello, so many people were saying how much they related to what I was talking about at the top of that episode. So uh, anxiety, being in a rut, mild depression, you know, just feeling very stuck and kind of in this hole. And um, I just feel so grateful that, number one, my words can resonate with people and my experience can resonate with people, but that also your words and like above all your experiences can resonate back to me. Um, And I think above all, This journey has been about opening up those conversations and opening up those spaces for all of us to understand that we're not alone. We don't have this all figured out. We're all just trying. And so let's celebrate that in itself. Just celebrate the fact that you're trying. And, you know, I think that when it comes to these subjects of mental health, um, You know, there's a, there's an air of, I think uh, if you have it all together, um, or if you seemingly have it all together, it's not as bad. It's not as, um, you know, you're, you're actually, you'll be fine. And I think that in this episode, I, I definitely touch on that with, with my guest, but I want to say that it's okay to not have it all together, to seemingly not have it all together. And it's okay for you to take the time that you need to take in order to heal and to feel better. You don't need to be positive 24-7. You don't need to shift your energy right back to where it was 24 hours ago. And if you're feeling happy and loved and great, that's amazing. And if you're not, that's amazing too. Meeting yourself where you are, I think, is one of the biggest lessons that I'm learning throughout this process. And for some reason, this the past month and a half has just been very hard for me. Um, and it's been hard for me to be consistent. I know a huge factor is that I'm incredibly busy at work um, and, you know, trying to operate a podcast and and a side hustle (laughs) is not easy when you have an incredibly demanding job. And so I totally recognize that that's a huge factor, but I think that there are a bunch of other factors in the mix too. And so, you know, it's, it's hard balancing all of the things and, um, I think that one of my biggest um, 
desires is to be more consistent with the show and with putting myself out there. Um, but I also need to realize that I need to give myself grace. There are others that are doing the exact same thing that I'm doing and they're consistent because they're, you know, they don't have as many things going on or, or they have help or, you know, all of these reasons. Or maybe there are people who have, who are doing more and who have it way worse than I am and they're being consistent. I think comparison is like, I think there's a famous quote that it's the thief of joy. And I find that to be so, so true as I'm navigating this period where I'm really navigating a lot of ups and downs. Um, So thanks for sticking with me through this journey. And um, I'm really excited about this conversation today because I think it, uh, you know, hits so many areas that we all feel. On the show this week, I'm interviewing well, I have interviewed <laughs> as you're listening to this, um, Susan Combs. She uh, founded Combs and Company, and um, she's been mentioned on this show before by Colleen Blum, who's a past guest, and one of my dear friends who also has an incredible podcast. Um, and I think that. Um, you know, in this conversation, I do want to offer a content warning that um, we talk about sexual abuse, we talk about trauma, we talk about um, addiction and mental health. So, you know, there there are mentions of these things. We we dive a little deep on the mental health and, and trauma part of it and like being the person that has it all together. But I do want to say there's a mention of... Um, abuse and in case you need that content warning. So I, I, this conversation with Susan is all about her journey because she wrote a book, which is incredible. Um, so Susan just wrote a book called Pancakes for Roger and she is doing this like badass book tour and I am, I have wanted to interview Susan for a long time. And she was the type of person where I was like very noticed, very, can't talk again. (laughs) She's the type of person where I was very nervous to reach out to her and ask her if she wanted to be on the show. And it just like happened and it came together. And I, I was just so excited that I could chat with her. Um, so Susan's book, Pancake for Pancakes for Roger, is, as she deems it, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. So it's all the lessons she's learned throughout her life um, from so many significant people in her life. And she mentions, so really, this book is a huge ode and, um, uh, you know, tribute to her father and so many other people in her life but Susan's father played such a pivotal role and he's the Roger in Pancakes for Roger and um, he passed and it left just a huge crater in her life Um, but it's so interesting and beautiful to see someone's legacy through their children and so so many of the lessons that have been bestowed upon 
someone's children because then you get to really see the character of that person. And this book has just so many beautiful nuggets in it. And like, I want to read up a portion of this before we dive in um, to, to all of this. So there's one portion that's called the syrup. And she says, there will always be uncertainty in your life. But if you have the right foundation, the right mentors and the right tribe, they can lift you up when you feel like you don't have anything to give. Significant growth can come through trials if you're willing to sit with the lessons under the surface. You can become a stronger person and then you can help somebody else. I'm a hospice volunteer now, which was not a part of my life 10 years ago. Back then, I couldn't imagine that work. It sounded so depressing. I found out it's not, though. I learned about myself and what's meaningful through tragedy and struggle. Sometimes in the middle of stress, you'll have blinders on. Surviving feels all-consuming. It's important to remember the way things are now is not how they'll always be. Remembering that fact can help you, can help give you strength to push through instead of becoming paralyzed. No matter what comes your way, good or bad, nothing is forever. Everything passes. So appreciate the good while you have it and cultivate, cultivate being fully present. Don't despair when the bad happens. Guess what? That will change too. Be slow to say yes. If you become too busy and stressed out, it's hard to see how much you've overcommitted and regain your balance. It's important to take the time to process what you're saying yes to, or you can end up having nothing for yourself at the end of the day. Find your balance among humility, accomplishments, and knowing yourself and your strengths. Use your creativity and resourcefulness to seek satisfaction in different areas of your life. Sometimes people get complacent and just keep going through the motions without stopping to ask what truly makes them happy or what they can add or change to make their lives better. Man, oh man, what beautiful words from Susan Combs, um, the president of Combs and Company. And I would encourage you to go pick up your copy of Pancakes for Roger if you're interested, especially after this interview. Enjoy this conversation with Susan. And I am so, so excited um, to be back in the swing of things. Oh, actually, before uh, we jump into this conversation, I want to mention there will be new a new release day of the week for Growing Woman. So I will actually be releasing episodes on Wednesdays now instead of Tuesdays. I have just realized Tuesdays are too batshit crazy. <laughs> so um, Wednesdays are going to be our release days. So look out for every Wednesday something coming from me on Growing Woman, whether it's an interview or a solo episode. I cannot wait to see you every single Wednesday. I love you all. Enjoy this wonderful conversation with Susan. Susan, welcome to Growing Woman. I am so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited too. I feel like personally for me, this has been a long time coming in my desire to talk to you on the show. Um, but recently uh, we were connected through one of the loves of our lives, yeah. Colleen Blum, who has been on this show before, who has one of the most popular episodes. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, let's go. Yeah. And um, so she connected the two of us because you have an incredible book. And if you're watching this down the line called Pancakes for Roger. Um, and I know that you have been talking about this book 
all over the place and your journey and your story. Um, and this is just such a beautiful tribute to your father and your family and the people who have influenced you in your life and taught you so much. Um, so I definitely want to dive into your life and your story because I have seen you speak and I remember texting Colleen during a conference, a virtual conference while you were speaking and saying, oh my God, your boss is amazing. <laughs> like she's incredible. And Colleen going, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so right off the bat, what inspired you to put all of this into a book? You know, um, <laughs> to, be, to be truthful, I think, um, you know, uh, some of the people in my office, I mean, and I will correct you, like I'm not Colleen's boss. She's my business partner. So, yes. um, you know, I, um, you know, I'm very adamant about saying we work with, with each other. So, um, you know, I think with COVID, I, I, let me back up. I've always wanted to write a book. I've always kicked it around. Um, I, when I publicly speak, I kind of end with unsolicited advice and they're kind of fun quotes from people that I've gotten throughout my life. And I always thought that would be a really cool premise for a book, like take a quote, use it as the name of the chapter, give some insight about that person, and then just like how to apply it to life. So that's kind of always what I've thought I would do. And then COVID hit, right. And things kind of shifted, things kind of changed. And Colleen started a podcast, Sean in our office, um, started a YouTube show. And I was like, well, you know, what the frick is my creative thing? Like, <laughs> like, I like creative and pretty things too. And so I, and I had people that had, you know, other women mentors that had been after me to do this for a while. So it just, I think the stars aligned for me. I also think, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm very raw in the book. I mean, it's, you know, if you, I'll be shocked if I don't like get choked up on this interview because it is so near and dear to my heart. And yeah. I, you know, my th father passed away um, about three, three and a half years ago. And this book was very cathartic for me. Um, yeah. And so where it started out and I thought my dad was going to be a chapter, just like everybody else was going to be a chapter. No, he took over the whole freaking book. And, and so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of mentors in there, but, but it's a huge tribute piece to my dad, but it was, I think it was the right time for me, but it, it was also, um, I realized not everybody has a great family. And I realized not everybody has a great mentor. And I was very fortunate and very blessed to have both. And so, you know, somebody told me, I mean, one of my mentors told me a long time ago, if you get good information and good advice, it is your responsibility to share it with the world. It is your responsibility to pass it on to somebody else because it was something that, that worked for you. So it just, the stars aligned. I was like, okay, let's do this. And so I um, started writing it last summer um, and took several weeks to do it. And then we finally locked the manuscript um, in December, I want to say. And then the book came out on uh, February 22nd, which is my dad's birthday. So 2-22-22, if you believe in numerology and that's an angel number. So it was, it was kind of a cool thing to do. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I guess a follow-up to this question, you know, or to my original question, was it easy to write or was this a really hard experience because you are, you're putting so much out there? Oh, I fucking ugly cried every week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'd be, and we were, we recorded it. So it's, I worked with a company called Scribe Media. And if anybody's looking to do a book, I mean, there, there's so many different ways to do a book. So, you know, there's like, you can just do it all on your own and just figure it out. Um, I'm too busy to just figure it out um, on my own, to be honest. And so I needed the structure and support that the scribe provided me. So every single week we'd write. 
and we'd record and we'd record the interview. So, I mean, there's a lot of ugly tears out there on Susan Combs <laughs> in the world um, that, you know, I, I probably got to pay some more money to make sure that they don't get leaked to the press <laughs> at some point in time. <laughs> but it was, you know, I think that, um, you know, I get into busy mode, you know, if there's a crisis, you know, I'm a fixer. I like figure things out. And, and that really, when my father passed, that became a big part of my role with my family. And so I was kind of the, the coordinator of a lot of things and getting things done. So I think for me, um, I know I grieved when my father passed, but I don't think I really got the healing part until I started mm. going and, and writing this book. And it was super healing for me. Yeah. I can tell through the, the words in this book, something that really jumped out at me that, you know, I was thinking of, cause I did not grow up in a stable environment. I did not grow up with the traditional, you know, family archetype, but I, I grew up in a family with tons of love, but tons of dysfunction. And so when I hear you talk about the lessons you learn, the, the family dynamic you had reading about your father, who obviously had just such an enormous impact in your life. I, it, it just becomes recognizable instantly that we all go through trauma mm -hmm. and we all have our own separate traumas, but we're all very insular sometimes in thinking that our trauma is the one and only way, you know, or, 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 you know, there's not possibly someone else who can have a copy and paste of our trauma or, or can have it as bad. Um, at least that, that is somewhat the mentality that I've seen in myself and others before going out and healing and doing the work and reading this, I, I was like, oh, Susan has had some deep trauma in her life and like working through that. Um, and working through trauma in our bodies and, and having that come out. So I could only imagine that having this process um, and being able to talk about these experiences um, was cathartic, but also probably brought up some of that, those mechanisms for healing. So how have you, um, you know, been able to start to heal, continue to heal, uh, recognize that healing process in yourself. Because I think the, one of the reasons why I wanted to ask this is because trauma comes in all shapes, sizes, and forms. And I think it's really important for people to hear about the process. Yeah. Well, you know, and I mean, the, like the kind of the trauma I talk about in the book is, you know, losing my father, but man, I mean, I went through a lot of shit too. I mean, it's just like, you know, I was molested as a kid. I was raped as a, you know, a teenager. I mean, it's just, there's stuff in that isn't in the book. Um, so it's interesting that you kind of read between the lines, maybe a little bit on some of the stuff. And, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes by Marcus Aurelius is you got to be active in your own rescue. I love Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. <laughs> Do you read the daily stoic? Um, I have, I don't read okay. it as much anymore, but yeah. Yes. So my husband and I actually, we typically read that before we go to the gym every day. And, you know, everybody processes things differently and everybody, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. Right. And so I think that one of the things that, um, a lot of people like maybe don't think about, or they, they just, 
you have to recognize that that how I handle something and how you handle something are, can be entirely different ways. And, and there's no right or wrong way. It's just how you do it and how I do it. It's how, you know, what we've learned, you know, it's our survival mode that we learned as children or, or learned as adults or things like that. So I, but I've always been somebody that like, I'm never going to stand in the middle of the room and say, who's going to save me. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of move a muscle, change a thought. And my, my dad was like that too, where, you know, everybody has bad days, but, you know, I always like, you know, got off my ass and did something about it. And I can and, tell from, from all of this. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I've, I've never been a, a depressed person, but you know, my oldest brother's a severe manic depressive, you know, my other brother struggles with depression. I mean, my mother during this whole process has really struggled with depression. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I have to kind of check myself on because yeah. I can almost disconnect from that because I, there's no way I can have empathy of that situation. Cause I don't know what it's like. I can, right. I can have sympathy, but I, I feel like you can't truly have empathy unless you've actually been there. Yeah. Um, but it's also like knowing what works for you and surrounding yourself by the support system and the people that can help you kind of power through things, but power things through things in a way that works for you. And I think that, um, you know, really abolishing that stigma around these issues as well. And really saying, you know, yeah, I am doing things that are beneficial to me. And I am, you know, this type of person I am powering through. I want to talk about your strength and in, in like getting shit done because, um, I am similar in that way and not similar in other ways, but you seem like a very proactive person. Have you always been that way? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you, my dad always told this story. Like, so I, um, I, you know, I've had Lasix now, but, um, but I was a kid that I had glasses starting at six years old. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, so my, and I grew up in a town of a thousand people. And like, when we went to town, it was about 30 miles away. Um, but Missouri, not New York. So 30 miles, 30 minutes in other parts of the country, not like here where it takes like hours. Um, so my dad used to tell the story that when I was six years old and I would have an eye appointment, I would say, what time is the eye appointment? And I would back into it knowing like how long it took to drive to St. Joe. I would set my own alarm at six years old. I would get up, I'd, I'd lay out my clothes the night before I'd get showered, get ready. And I'd be sitting by the door 15 minutes before we had to leave. Cause yeah. that was just the kid I was. My dad was like that too. So it's like, I, and that was one of the things that when he passed, I think I missed so much is, um, that was my teammate in my family. Yeah. And I don't think I didn't realize that until his funeral at Missouri. And, um, you know, I talk a little bit about this in the book. It, we had to go to, um, like in the Protestant religion, you call it like a, a visitation, like Catholic, you call it awake. And so we had like the, the visitation the night before the funeral. <laughs> I was trying to get my family out of the house and they were like, you know, dawdling around, dawdling around. I'm like, we are the only people that have to be there. <laughs> we're just like, we gotta be on time. And I like look up and I was like in a prayer and I'm like, dad, just help me get these freaking people out of the house. Like we used to always tell them like 30 minutes before we really needed to leave that we needed to leave because then we had the buffer and we were always on time. But it's just funny how, you know, everybody's just so, so different with that stuff. Yeah. Your partner in crime. Yeah, really. Like, and, and when you're describing yourself as a child, it really did feel like militant, like, you know, that military. Yeah, We had a white glove pet test. We had it, you know, in our, in our rooms, we had a demerit system he set up for us. I mean, it just, you know, but I, I, that worked for me and, you know, and it's funny because 
one of the things I thought my dad was very, very good about is he had three very different children Mm -hmm. and the crime and the punishments were always different. Yeah. And so, and he recognized that. And so I think that as a parent, I think that would be tremendously hard because it's like, okay, you know, if you, whatever, you get a bad grade on a test, like you lose your iPhone. Well, that wouldn't have mattered to me. I would have just been like, okay, fine, whatever. I'll go play ball outside, you know, but well, and I grew up when there wasn't iPhones and there weren't cell phones. So, but, um, but my, my brother's if you took my brother's video games away, that was like detrimental. I'd be like, whatever. I don't freaking care about video games. So it's just like knowing, you know, what's going to work for each person too, I think is good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious about, um, how this is showing up, you know, or how this has shown up in your career. So a huge part of this show is really talking about how the hell did you do what you're doing? You know, where did you, come, you know, how, what, what is your journey? How did you know all the things? And this is really such a beautiful, um, testament to, to how you do know all the things, (laughs) but I, I read your story about coming to New York Mm -hmm. and, um, the job placement that you had and how you landed in your job. Can you describe that just a little bit? Um, you know, coming to New York city. Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I graduated college in 2001 and, um, you know, one of the things, and I don't even know, I don't even know if somebody taught me this or it was just like, I figured it out on my own, but I always knew that, okay, when you graduate college, the more experience you have, like everybody has good grades, right. Or well, whatever I didn't, but it's like, you know, everybody, I had a diploma, let's put it that way. So it's just like, so, you know, everybody has the same piece of paper. So it's just like, what can I bring to the table? That's going to make me more marketable than somebody else sitting next to me that has a piece of paper. So I worked full-time all through college and I got the experience and I, you know, I was working for the university as an event manager. I went to the university of Missouri you know, I worked as a corporate sales manager in a hotel locally. I mean, so I, when I graduated, it was like, I, you know, I had experience so that I could get the jobs that I wanted. So for whatever freaking reason, I decided I wanted to come to New York, never been here. And I was like, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. And so I purposely started interviewing and focusing on the East coast. And I graduated in a great job market. I not, I mean, man, when people graduated in 2008, uh, 2008, I felt bad for them. Yeah. 2009, baby. Suck to be <laughs> you, right? So I had eight job offers when I graduated college. So I knew I could go and do whatever, but I accepted a job at the Marriott at the World Trade Center. And, you know, this was May of 2001. And then two weeks before my job started, they called me and said, Hey, we did a budget revamping and we're going to get by with two banquet managers instead of three right now. Uh, so you get to pick from Detroit to new Orleans. And I remember saying, my mom got me a going away cake. It had New York city pictures on it, not Detroit or new Orleans. <laughs> and they were like, we don't care, you know, but I was like, but I do. Um, so I said, you know what? I, I had a conversation with my dad and I said, let me try it for a month and see if I can find something. Because again, I knew it was a good job market and I knew I had things to fall back on because with my experience with events at the university of Missouri, I had worked with a lot of people. I mean, I had done um, some shows with Bob Dylan and that was my ace in the hole is to go back to work, um, you know, for Bob Dylan and those guys. And so, um, which, you know, sounds a lot sexier when I reflect on it now, but it was life. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so I came out to New York anyway. I lived in the military hotel with the soldiers and sailors and airmen, which is, uh, 
I mean, I think it's now sold, but it's like, it's like Lexington and 38th street. And it was a glorified hostel. I mean, I shared a bathroom. I had a twin bed. It was like, there was a curfew. I mean, it was, you know, it was, but it was, um, you know, it was like 40 bucks a night. So, wow. um, so I stayed there and I interviewed around. And so that's when I learned the importance of networking. And, um, so I had always, I don't know, I had always networked and kind of connected and I was just a good kid. Right. I mean, so, um, I was a nice person, a good kid, always respectful. And so I had a cousin that was in the automobile industry and he had a counterpart that was, that was on the East coast. And the guy's sister was a recruiter. I didn't know what the hell a recruiter was, you know, a headhunter. And I ended up hooking up with her and I was like, I'm catering, I'm banquets, I'm events, I'm entertainment. That's what I do. And they were like, well, what about payroll? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound sexy at all. But, um, I had a lot of math in school. I'm minor in math. And so, um, hmm. you know, I ended up going to work for paychecks payroll company and I did auditing for them and would, you know, sit down with prospective clients. And while I was working with them, they came out with a workers comp product and nobody knew how to sell it. Nobody knew what it was. And so I was like, you know what, why not me? I can figure this out. And so I learned about the product, started, you know, selling the product, training other reps on it. They would have me speak at other offices and explain how this, this process works. And so I'd get brought in for, you know, insurance meetings. And then other people started asking well, do you do general liability? Do you do health insurance? Do you do, you know? And so I had from networking in my networking groups, I had connected with some brokers that I just referred. So I was sending them these clients. And then eventually the light bulb came on over my head saying, you know what? I'm starting at zero every single month. Right. You know, yes, I have a nice base salary, but I'm starting at zero and I'm, I'm only going to be only go so far here. So um, that's what kind of inspired me to say like, Hey, let me look at going to insurance full-time. So, you know, paychecks is really what exposed me to insurance full-time. And then, um, and then I got the opportunity to, you know, go work on the brokerage side. And then just, you know, after a year of working for a, um, the large entertainment brokerage, I started my own thing at 26. So, which I don't know if I'd recommend or not, but (laughs) (laughs) I was basically going to get fired, you know, if I'm to be honest. So, you know, I had had a year contract with them and then they approached me and they said, Hey, Um, we're going to put you in a management trainee program so you can kind of shadow the other areas and things like that. And which isn't a bad gig, right? You can learn about things. And it was a solid, great company, great company to work for. And I remember, um, you know, the CFO that since has been fired, um, gave me a contract and there was no money in it. There was no money in it. And I said, well, you know, I knew that they were paying me $24,000 a year then as a draw. So that's 1099. So like, and I didn't learn about what the extent of that meant. So it's like $24,000. My health insurance came out of that. You know, I had a car at the time, monthly subway pass, so, you know, um, cell phone, paying rent. I mean, I was literally bringing home like a hundred, 150 bucks. Yeah. I was going to say that's very little. Yeah. Yeah, And nobody ever tells you, oh, and you have to pay taxes on that money. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, so, you know, when I, I started looking at it and saying to them, I said to him, I said, well, what's, what's my compensation going to be? And cause I knew what it was and I knew that wasn't going to cut it. And he said, well, you're just going to have to trust us. Uh, And at 26, I was, I guess I was ballsier than I realized, but I said, well, trust doesn't pay my bills. (laughs) And that's amazing. I think he was shocked too. He's like, come on, kid. he was like, don't you know who I am? You know? Um, but I, and he said, well, 
he said, you're just going to have to trust us. And I said, well, I can't sign a contract saying I'm going to stay here and be in this program. If I don't know what my compensation is going to be, because if you're going to cut my measly $24,000 down to zero, then how am I going to survive? I mean, I'd become a certified personal trainer and was training on the side just to make ends meet. But it was like, I was back in college. It was like, you know, pot of spaghetti one week, you know, chili the next week. I was like, God, you know, like saltines and oranges. And so what what am I going to do here? So, you know, when, when he said, well, then we're done here. And I was like, okay. You know, and I had kind of seen the writing on the wall because I knew that they were presenting me with this opportunity. So I had a mentor that we, I mean, we went to a coffee shop and we just like wrote down a pro con list. Mm. And at the end of the day, the pros were like, they were giving me office space. You know, they were giving me a business card and they were mailing stuff for me. (laughs) And he was like, Susan, he's like, you can go you know, you can print your own business cards. You can start this out of your apartment and you can get off your ass and go mail your own stuff. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know? So yeah, it was, that's how I started the firm. And, but it was like, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And, but I knew how to treat people. And so I think that anytime, you know, and since I came from the hospitality arena, um, I treated insurance more as a service model. Yes. And so by treating it as a service model, we treated people well. I connected with them. It was more relational. Like if you were calling me for a quote and like you were off the street and like, oh, well, how much does this cost? Like, just shoot me a quote on this. I didn't want those people. I mean, didn't mean I didn't take him. Right. Right. Because you had to, like, you had to take everybody because you just need to keep the lights on. But then after, you know, after I got going and kind of saw like, okay, you know what? I deserve to be treated better. I have built up a book of business. That's when I started kind of firing the assholes. Um, because you know, you, you get rid of that stuff, then you, you know, you bring yourself open to have like the type of clients that you want to have. 100%. And thank you for, for detailing all of this, because what, this often comes up with people um, who have been in similar positions to you where they've, you know, really branched out and done their own thing. Um, The topic of fearlessness Hmm. for me, I spent a lot of my um, life being very fearful of those decisions of those chances in some ways In other ways, no, I was like, whatever I'm going to do what I'm going to do when you made the decision to, you know, it seems like when you said trust doesn't pay my bills, that just kind of naturally came out of you. Um, but were there moments of fear in this particular period of saying those things during a meeting, then deciding to start something on your own? It can be very scary. Yep. What did that look like for you? How did you push past that? Or push so through one of the things it. I will say is, you know what, you know, I worked for DeWitt Stern um, because if you Google me, you'll find it out anyway. And now they're risk management, but or risk managers, but um, DeWitt, man, they, they did right by me from the beginning where I own my book of business from day one. Mm. So when I walked out, I w- had the ability to take the clients that I had self-generated and brought in. And so when I did that, I literally, I started my company on uh, June 24th, 2005. It's my brother's birthday. That's why I could remember it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, when I walked down on June 20, you know, June 24th, I had twice as much revenue coming in starting July one, because mm. I got the letters signed over, you know, because my clients were there for me. They weren't there for the company I was working for. 
And so since I had that ability, so I didn't have to take a business loan, I didn't have to invest any of my personal money and things like that, it, it worked for me. Not everybody has that opportunity. And, and I don't even know how the hell I was smart enough to be like, I want to own my book. I guess they were like, yeah, she doesn't know what the hell she's doing. Like, this is her first insurance job. What she, yeah. what can she really bring to the wow. table? Um, but that gave me the ability to be able to, you know, walk away and not be as fearful, but fear is like, you know, um, you know, one of the things like when my dad was dying, I mean, I'm a very big, I mean, you follow me on social media. I love pictorial quotes, right? I mean, that's like one of my jams. And um, one of the ones I, I used to send him to my dad, you know, when he was, you know, after he had relapsed and then ultimately when he's dying. And one that I always resonated with me is hope is the only thing greater than fear. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, in fear, like, you know, people talk about the different acronyms, it's, you know, fuck everything and run or face everything and recover. Right. So it's just like, it depends on like where you are in the situation and are you going to fight or are you going to flight? Yeah. And, and no one is right or wrong. It just depends on the situation. But I think sometimes we need to, we have to be our own hero and we have to believe in ourselves. And I had enough chip on my shoulder I was like, I'm Roger Combs's fucking daughter. Like, I'm going to do this, you know? And so, um, but you know, I had, you know, my now husband that was my boyfriend at the time said he believed in me, you know, I had a mentor that believed in me. So I think it was almost like a fake it till you make it type of thing. You know, my clients believed in me because they all came with me. And so, um, and I still have a lot of those clients that I had then. And I mean, oh, that's beautiful. I think it's 17 years now, right? If I do the math right. Yeah. So <laughs> something like that. I don't know. When Colleen gets me the balloons, then I'll tell you. I know. I was going to say you have those balloons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think something that is coming up for me when you're talking about this is um, we do actually believe in ourselves. You know, like we do have that belief um, that we are good enough, that we deserve more, that we um, are you know, fucking badass is like, we can do this. We can put ourselves out there in this way. We can make things happen. Um, and we're capable. Unfortunately, there are so many outside factors that condition us to believe otherwise over and over and over again. And I think in those moments, uh, those trust can't pay my bills moments, that's the true essence of what you, who you are coming out and being like, yeah, actually, like I need to stand up for myself in this moment. I need to push through this, or I'm going to start something on my own. I believe that I can take this book of business and create something meaningful. And I still have that 17 years later. I think it's really hard for some people to push past the the outside messaging and get to the core of I'm capable. So I think it's really beautiful that you have those moments that you can keep pushing through and those reminders, um, that I'm Roger Combs's daughter. Like I have a beautiful partner who's pushing me. I'm a mentor, you know, all of these things that can really push you forward and like kind of hold your hand of that person who does believe in themselves as you're moving forward. I think that's something I need more of a reminder of sometimes, and it's hard to get there always. Um, and I think too, I mean, it's, it's also surrounding yourself by the right people. Yeah. I mean, and I, 
you know, and I, I know I have like an amazing tribe, an amazing crew, but it's like, you also can't be afraid to ask for help. Yes. And I think that that's a lot of time. I mean, and you have to surround yourself by people that are smarter than you in certain areas, you know? And I think sometimes as women, we can, we can be like, well, I have to do it all myself. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. And no, you don't. No, you don't. I mean, it's just like, I'm, you know, I make a lot of money, but I suck at finances. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, it's, you know, our CFO, like when he came <laughs> into the company, um, he was like, how often do you look at QuickBooks? And I'm like, eh, once a month. He's like, ah, <laughs> You should be looking at it every day. I'm like, why? There's money in the bank. There's plenty of money. Why do I have to worry about this? You know, but it's just like, but he has helped us take us to the next level. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, because my brain doesn't work like that. You know, I'm relationships. I'm, you know, I'm a hell of a marketer. You know, I'm good at sales and things like that. I'm good at meeting people. I'm good at lifting people up. I'm good at mentoring. And I'm, I'm good at like risk assessment. Like my brain is like a fucking Rubik's cube. When it's like, when somebody starts telling me about their business, man, I can dissect it in two seconds in my head and tell you what all the pitfalls are, tell you what kind of insurance you need, because that's how I operate. My husband calls me a dream stasher (laughs) because (laughs) I give people like a reality check they may or may not want. But I think it's also like I brought in the right people, you know, Mm -hmm. Colleen's an example of the right person. And that was the right person at the right time. Oh my God. Yeah. And that was just like, that was like the universe putting her in my way. I mean, it's just like, you know, she found me online and then sent me an email and I was like, it was the right time. I had somebody who was going out on maternity leave and I was like, let's make this work. And it's been, I think for both of us, I think she would say it too. It's been one of the greatest decisions of both of our lives. I mean, it's, you know, I have somebody that is like, you know, mini me, um, I, I crack up because she's, you know, she's 10 years younger than me and she's a lot smaller than me. And I'm like, <laughs> we were at a conference in Vegas. I'm like, we got small and me at large, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just, she's taught me things too, that I don't think she ever even realized. Um, yeah. but it's like, she's young enough that it's like, okay, is this cool? Like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, Colleen, I'm not ready for TikTok. I know I got to do the TikTok, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, like with the reels, she was the one she's like, do a reel. I'm like, I don't know how to do a reel. And she's like, you know, you know, she's like, you know, does the everything transitions like, all the, no, things. I can, I can make my lips move to the, the person talking. I'm good at that, <laughs> you know, and being funny and showing funny faces, but, um, but you know, with her, it's just been, that was the, that was the right move. That was that Colleen was my best business move. I mean, just that story in general, her perseverance. I mean, if you haven't listened to that episode, if you're listening or watching to this, go listen to it too, because it's incredible. And, but I think you're touching on something that is super important for us to remember that you can't do it on your own and you need to ask for help. And I think, you know, you're saying yourself, you make a lot of money, you're successful in business, but you're it's because you focus on the things that you're very good at and you know, you're good at them and you have asked for help in various ways. Even when you were talking at the top of the show about your book and the, the process of writing, you said, I couldn't do it on my own. I needed, you know, more help in this way. And I just got a little ping mentally, like, oh, that's great. Like, that's such a great lesson to remember. You can't do it on your own. You actually do need to sort or search for resources to help you through that process of everything. Uh, When did you really start to embrace that 
was that at the beginning of starting Comb the Company or was that kind of more in, in uh, a few years? Um, on asking for help. Yeah. And on, on really surrounding yourself I with mean, people who uh, could help you. You know, I am uber type A. You know, I, I will tell you, I, I could not tell it all <laughs> from this. <laughs> so, and that's the thing. I mean, like Colleen and I laugh all the time. I mean, we're adding, actually, we're hiring somebody new that that's going to start in April. And, um, you know, like Colleen's going to go through the whole, like, mind fuck that I had to go through when I was like, oh, I got to hand shit off, you know? So yeah. it's, you know, one of those things that, um, uh, like, cause you know, I have the, I have the mentality, like if I do it, I know it's done right. Yeah. I think a lot of type A's are like that, but once you start seeing when you hand things off, it can be the most freeing thing ever. And it also frees you up for, to do the things that you're good at and do the things that you want to do. Um, it, but it's hard. Oh, you're making me emotional. Just like yeah. hearing you say that it like, that really hits home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And so, you know, and I think, you know, you also have to know your, I know myself very, very well and, and not everybody does. And I, and I get that. Um, but I think that, you know, moving to New York at, you know, 21, 22 years old and, and just figuring shit out and being resourceful and being, you know, I'm, I'm very tenacious and that's actually a quality that we look for in anybody we bring into the company um, because we call that the ability to find the answer. And, mm. you know, you don't have to have all the answers. You just know how to get to the answers. And I'm very good at knowing how to get to the answers. I mean, I had somebody that called me last night that she recently lost her father and she wants to open a school. And she's like, how do I do it? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> you know, I was like, but I was like, but I know this person that has an orphanage in Africa. I have this person that started a business school in Africa. I was like, I got people like, because I, I like, I know how to connect the dots. And so I think if, you know, sometimes I think women think it's a weakness when they're just like, oh, it's, you know, it's a badge of honor that I do all this shit. No, well, maybe depends on the person you're talking to. But I think that taking a step back and saying like, what do I really want to do? And what do I really want to focus on? And what's really going to make me happy? Because I'll, I'll tell you, there's days I'm chained to my desk and I'm miserable because it's just the work quantity that has to get done. I mean, I work a lot as an expert witness and sometimes there's deadlines and I can't change the deadline and it is what it is. So, um, but I also think that with the type A's and with the strong people out there, you have to know when to tap out and you have to know when to ask for help because we are the last people that somebody's like, are you okay? How are you really yeah. doing? You know? And it's just, and it's not their fault. It's just, we've kept our shit together so much that we have it all together on the outside. We can be dying on the inside or some things are just like crumbling, but people are like, oh, well they got their stuff together. I mean, I had, man, I had angry tears at my brother. <laughs> um, when, you know, and I, I can't even remember. And that's the thing. Like when you go through like a death and you're a caretaker, there's so many blurred lines. And, um, you know, I think it was, I don't, I think it was after my dad passed. It might've been before. I don't even remember, but it's just like, I remember being in my bedroom in Missouri and my brother was in there and I was just like, I just blew up. And I was like, you know what? I said, how about you ask me how I am doing? Mm. And he, I was like, I said, I know what I said. I think you think I have this cake life that, you know, I make all this money. I live in New York city. I own my own home, like all this shit. And, but I work tremendously hard for everything I have. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, and I need somebody to say like, Hey, 
how are you doing? How are you really doing? And so I always try to remember that for my type A friends. You know, I have a girlfriend that I've mentored since she was in college and she's now, God, what is she? 31, um, 32. And she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer at 28 years old. And, um, you know, this, you know, this girl Morgan is, she's tremendously close to me and, you know, she and I'll get together for coffee and I'll be like, how are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm good. And then I look at her and I'm like, Morgan, how are you doing? And then the floodgates open because you need to have friends like that. You have need to have friends that are just like the check in on you when they're like, you know, like during this book tour my life was nuts. I mean, I was so freaking tired. I mean, I was sharing with you before that, like, you know, Colleen and I got home from Vegas at 1am yesterday and I like, couldn't even spell my name at that point, but it's just like, but I have the people that were like, Hey, just want to check in on you. Are you cool? Are you good? How's things going? You know, I mean, you just need to have those, those people that, you know, if you need to reach out and tap into those resources that you have them available. Well, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm very, there have been many moments during our conversation where I'm like, we're very similar um, because I recognize in you that you're the go-to person when there's a crisis, yep. um, that you're the person that people will ask for the resources. You're going to naturally step in and coordinate, you know, all the things. And I feel very similarly in my personal and professional life. But it's very hard, um, one, if people aren't asking you how you are, and two, if it's not the right person asking you how you are, Um, because sometimes you don't want to talk to certain people about those things. And, But it's very easy for people to see situations where you look put together or where you have go, go, go brain on and just think you're fine. And you look at that she's doing it all. She's, she's so strong, amazing. And you are strong, but I think there's a deep, um, you know, I think you deserve to have someone, um, care for you and, and hold that space for you. And I'm talking about the general use that identify with Susan and myself. Um, when you're the one who has it all together, because uh, it can be very hard to go through crisis after crisis or trauma and be that person that has it all together. And um, sometimes you're fine and sometimes you're not. So I really identify with so much of what you're saying. And um, it shows that you have also learned in your life to ask for those moments or to like have those moments. Um, is that something you're still working on? You know, I think, um, you know, losing my father, it, it changed the fabric of who I was. It just did. And, you know, I mean, I lost my father and I was still in my thirties and, you know, I, there's horrible stories where, you know, people, I mean, I have a friend that his wife died in, in childbirth to triplets, you know, it's like, there's horrendous stories or people have lost their parents at a young age. And so I know like I was a super young, but, you know, by standards, um, I, I had a couple of friends that had, like closer friends that had kind of gone through this, but most of my circle ha- hasn't, I mean, they all still have their parents living. And I will tell you, you know, from time to time, there's no possible way not to have like a ping of jealousy when I'm like, 
their fucking father's 95 years old. Like, it's just like, you know, I mean, and just feel cheated. I mean, you just, you just do. Um, but I think that when you go through that, um, you know, I wasn't afraid to, um, to reach out, but I had my people. I mean, I had a core of, you know, I had, you know, my, my, closest girlfriends in New York city, you know, Carlene and Nicole, I had my best friend, Carrie at home and my best guy friend here, you know, uh, John Vian, I, that, you know, all these people are in the book. I had my two of my closest girlfriends, you know, um, in Wisconsin, you know, Julie and Chris, and I had, you know, Colleen and I had Jen that worked with us at the time and those people I could be me with yeah. in my, in my husband too. Right. I can be, of course, me with my yeah. husband. but it's just like, but those were my people that, I could get on the phone and I could be like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then they would just talk because yeah. I couldn't verbalize what I was going through. And I couldn't, cause I was tired. I was so tired. And, you know, and so I always tell people like, if you know of anybody that's a caregiver, you know, of somebody that's taking care, I mean, and this could be some, you know, a mom, a new mom that's taking care of the kid and they're just so freaking exhausted, you know, but if you have somebody that's, that's passing on in this world and it's, you know, you're caring for a sibling, you're caring for a sick child, you're caring for a parent or a grandparent or aunt and uncle, you know, it's just check on those people yeah. because it's just, even if it's you texting them to say, I just wanted to check in on you and wanted you to know that you're loved. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's all you just need to hear. I remember like I used to go, I mean, I, I worked out every day when, um, when my dad was, was dying because I knew if, if everything went to shit that day, I had one hour to myself from 5am to 6am. Like that's, that was my time. So I filled myself up during that time because I knew I had to give everything else the rest of the day to everybody else. And, and Susan mm -hmm. went on the shelf and that's fine. That is fine. I'm not complaining because that's just what you did and how, how you rolled with it. But, you know, some days I would leave the gym and I would go for a walk or sometimes in the afternoon, if my dad was resting, I'd go for a walk and I would, I would pick up the phone. And I mean, um, Jen Pisani that, she's, she's, she's retired from our company and is working with her husband now, but, um, she's my, you know, my Italian crazy chick and, um, <laughs> all emotions all the time. And, you know, if I needed somebody to cry with me, she was who I called and I want, you know, walk to King city track, the high school track that I used to run on. And I would just walk and, you know, and just talk and just unload. And, you know, sometimes I go sit on the porch and I would just talk or, you know, um, use Marco Polo to connect with friends so you can see the faces and just be like, cause I think sometimes people need to see your face. They don't yeah. like, they don't really feel the emotions, you know, not saying you got to FaceTime everybody when you're freaking ugly crying, but it's just like, <laughs> but it was for me, I needed to see love in somebody else's eyes for me. Oh, one, 100%. I mean, I very much felt that way in two situations. So I haven't really talked about this on the show, but my husband had a brain tumor in 2018 and, um, had to go, uh, undergo brain surgery. And so that was the worst moment of my life really. And I've been through really hard things, but having your partner go through something like that and just seeing them, um, because his recovery was really horrible and he lost all of his language. And so he couldn't communicate. So I went from, you know, having this person I talked to every day, who's my person who couldn't speak. Um, and you could tell he could understand certain things, but he couldn't speak. And 
luckily he's great now and everything's wonderful. But at the time it was one of those moments of surrender for me, where I was like, I had to call on everyone in my community. Um, it was just this moment of surrender for me where I was like, I don't know what I need, but I know I need people. And I know I need people around me. Um, because my person who I really do go to for so many things, I couldn't, you know, go to them in that moment. So that was a moment for me personally, where I, I had to ask for help, even though I didn't know what that would look like. And that really came in like meals or somebody just texting me or having somebody just come visit, seeing other people, you know? And then the second, um, instance where I felt this way was when I had my son, I had my son last September, um, and it was incredible, but it was really hard. (laughs) Um, or not last September. Oh my God, we're in 2022. Um, I had him in 2020. (laughs) Um, so in the middle of COVID I had to labor in a mask. I, um, you know, I could take my mask off when I was pushing him and, we couldn't have any family there. Um, no family was around when he was first born. And so when you're describing like Marco Polo and talking to people, um, you know, just seeing them, I was on the phone with my mom for hours on FaceTime when he was first born. And then I'd call my grandma and my aunt, and then I call the next person because I didn't have those people there for me. And those were, I got really severe postpartum anxiety and it was a situation that I wasn't expecting. And I think there are those moments that pop up, pop up, like you were saying, where you have those people and you're going to take that action that you need because you're in survival mode and you know, who's going to be the right person to hold that space for you. Are you that person for others and how have you shown up for, for others in that way? Um, and what have you learned from that? Do you even have to ask me that question? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, you know, I'm the person when I'm in the freaking checkout line of the grocery store, I'll be like, you know, when you just feel somebody's energy Mm -hmm. and I'll be like, are you okay? And oh my God, like, (laughs) then I'm like my son, he doesn't respect me. You know, me, my husband be like, I get their whole life story. And my husband's like, why does that happen with you? I was like, I have kind eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm you know, I am, I am the fixer, you know, um, and I'm somebody that like, I'm very, I'm good at giving advice, right? I mean, I'm good at assessing situations. I'm good at, doesn't mean I take my own advice all the time and I got to get better about that, but it's just like, I'm good at, you know, standing back, taking a look at stuff. But one of the things that I've realized that I have to do is I have to define my role in the situation because not everybody wants to be rescued. And you know, and I'm a fixer mentality, which can be so much more like a guy than a girl. And so, you know, so I ask what my role is. I try to do it before I start giving advice. Um, but I'll, you know, um, you know, one of my, my girlfriends, uh, you know, she's getting married for the first time and, um, it's going to be a blended, she doesn't have any children, but, but it's going to be a blended family. She's going to be a stepmom, and one of the kids is autistic and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, when she'll 
come to myself and one of our other girlfriends, she'll, uh, she'll like explain a situation. And I always try to say, are you venting or do you want advice on the situation? And because everybody deserves to vent, everybody deserves to just like get it off their chest and just have somebody say like, God, that's rough. You know, I don't have to be like, oh, you should do this. You should do that. But I, but I will, if you want me to. Um, so, <laughs> but that's the thing I try to do that, but I try to give that grace to other people, especially with my husband. Like my husband's not like, I'm more the fixer, you know, he, he can get into fixer mode too. But when I have a situation, like my husband also knows, like I need to process it internally first and wrap my head around things. I might like, I fucking go hide on the other side of the bed and cry. Like that's my cry place. Like, you know, if it's not in the shower, it's like on the other side of the bed. Like I, I literally sit on the floor, like a little kid. And I'm just like, I just need to just see where I'm at, you know, and check in with myself. And so you know, and my husband always knows like when I'm ready to talk, like I, I, when I get upset about something, I don't want to talk. I want to like figure it out in my head first, and then I'll come to you and talk to it. But I'll say, I just want you to listen to me. I don't want advice. I just want to vent because, you know, then, you know, Christina, like if I say that to you, you'll be like, okay, I don't need to be ready with my 10 point program on what she should do and how she should do it. And what's, you know, what's going to happen here. I just need to be a friend. And just sit here and love her and listen to her. So, you know, that's one of the things that I've learned, um, especially with, you know, losing my father, I think I, I see pain more and I see, you know, like when you were talking about your husband, you know, I felt that, I mean, you know, it was my dad, not my husband. And my brother also had cancer and, and, you know, had a 16% survival rate when, when we were kids and stuff like that. So my family's like been through that stuff. So I, I get it. And I, and I feel it. And it's just like, you know, you tell that story and you're not asking me to fix it for you. You're just like, you know, this is my journey and this is what I experienced. And these are the people that helped me type of thing. So I think it's, it's also kind of understanding, you know, I mean, I can, yeah, if you want your problem solved, <laughs> find me online and I will solve the world's problems. Kelly and I say, I was like, you know what, if it was up to us, like, we would solve the world's problems. <laughs> but also my husband tells me too, he's like, it's not your responsibility to be everybody's moral compass. Right. Yeah. I can do that. I'm sure I you love hearing that. Judge. Yeah. I can be, <laughs> I can judge you like as you know, the day is long, you know, and, and tell you what you should be doing in your life. But I try to keep that stuff internally. Yeah. Sometimes it, it just comes out. Um, but you know, I've tried to be better about that stuff, but I think that if you are the fixer and if you are the person that is always saving everybody else, you need to be very, very cautious on how it is impacting you. Um, because, you know, especially with like being a mentor being a sponsor, being, you know, helping people out in different ways, um, they're on their own journey and it is their life. And they're on, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to do the right thing. And at the end of the day, it's none of your business. Yeah. And so I, I feel deeply. And so, you know, I mean, I'm kind of known for being a badass, but I'm a tender badass. So if you tell me what you're going through and if you're a fucking guy, God help me. If you cry, I am done. I mean, I just cry. I just can't help it. Um, but you know, I feel it. And, and so I try to remember not to be like, get my wall up and be protective, but also know where to put that for myself Yeah, and not to take it on too much. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing before we, you know, finish this conversation. The last kind of area I really wanted to talk to you about 
is money because you have mentioned, you know, you, you make good money. You've mentioned you've built your business. You have relationships with, um, clients that are longstanding and you are well-respected in your field. Have you, um, I guess I should shape this in a way where I'm thinking, you know, have you always been comfortable with money? Mm -hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is the idea of making more money. Mm -hmm. And if yes, why? And if not, when did you become comfortable with making more money and the quote unquote ideas around of success around money? Gotcha. So, you know, I think a lot of our relationship with money comes from what your parents' relationship was like with money. And it's, it's kind of funny you bring this up because my husband and I were actually talking about this last night um, because my parents always talked to us about money and, you know, we had bank accounts. I mean, hell, I think I was, I think I was probably 10 when I had my first bank account. And I remember sitting at the dining room table every single month and reconciling the bank account because that was just what we were expected to do. And, you know, and I mean, Colleen and I were talking about this a little bit too at, at the conference in Vegas we were at, because she was asking me, she was like, did you have an allowance? I'm like, yes, it was $3, you know I mean? So, um, but, you know, so my, my parents were always like, okay with talking about money. So money's never really scared me. Um, but there's a lot of people that, you know, if, um, you know, if you didn't grow, I mean, my parents were comfortable, you know, my, my dad was a two-star general in the air force. He was also a civilian judge. My dad freaking hustled, you know? And so we grew up in a, a town of a thousand people, but my parents were comfortable. But I remember my dad saying to me, um, one time he said, if I wanted to buy a new car every single year and pay cash for it, I could, but he's like, but I don't want other people to feel bad. And I just thought that was interesting because like my dad was born on a dairy farm. My dad came from nothing. And so, you know, so he always kept his finger on the pulse of where he came from. And I think that's very, very important. And like, yes, I live in New York city and I have for the past 20 years, but I'm still always going to be the Missouri chick, you know, and, you know, from a small town of a thousand people, I had, you know, I had that town as part of my book tour as, you know, to give honor to the, the town that helped raise me. And, um, you know, especially when my brother had cancer when we were kids, I mean, people, people really jumped in and took care of me then. And, you know, so, you know, when it comes to money and things like that, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I will say that one of my, I don't know if you even call it advice, I'm starting to get more comfortable with spending it on myself Mm. and be as like, if I'm having a bad day, do I buy something for myself? No, I buy something for somebody else. And I don't know why, but it's just like, but I'm also a really good gift giver. So it makes me happy. So it feeds my soul when I'm like buying somebody something, Yeah. but it's just like, you know, there's no reason. Well, well let me take that back. I'll either buy somebody something else or I'll buy a great big cookie. And, and so oh my God, me too. And I'll come home. I love and my a husband cookie will be and like, an iced coffee. <laughs> so I'll come home and my husband will be like, how are you? And I'm like, I bought a big cookie. <laughs> He's like, so, <laughs> you know, but it's just, so I I've always been okay with money. And, um, and, you know, I think that, you know, I'm a Taurus, so it is kind of all about the money. I mean, we, you know, we, we like to do well. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy about my industry is women are paid the same as men commissions commission. 
So it's just where, you know, you have a lot of industries that, you know, women can be paid, you know, 70 cents on the dollar uh, to the dollar for the men get, I don't get that in insurance. So it's, and it's unlimited income potential. So it's just like, it depends on how much you want to hustle, how much you want to work. And so, you know, I've, I've never really had a negative connotation with it. I will say that, you know, everybody gets into debt at some point in time. Right. I mean, it's just like, I did that in college. And so, you know, racked up a credit card bill, you know, parents had to bail me out and stuff like that. And I think when you, and it was, I mean, debt, I mean, I'm talking a $3,500 credit card bill. Um, you know, a lot of people have $350,000 credit card yeah. bill, but I think that one of the things that happens is like, okay, when you feel like you've had that debt, when you get out of it, it's such an, a sense of accomplishment, but then I paid, I went the other extreme and I paid cash for everything mm-hmm. because I, my philosophy was like, well, if I don't have the cash for it, I shouldn't be spending it. So it was like debit card, debit card, debit card, cash, cash, cash. And then my husband was like, put everything on the credit card, pay off the credit card every month. He's like, you help your credit, which helps you like get more things later on in life. But it also helps you like, you know, with airline miles and, you know, being able to to get kind of some fun stuff that way. And so that took me some time to wrap my head around because it was fear. Because I was like, oh my God, what happens if I forget to pay the credit card bill? What happens if like I rack up a credit card, you know? And so there was that initial fear, but after I like it built the habit and was like, oh no, like you have all this, you know, you have this cash coming in, you just have it, an automatic draft of the credit card bill, like, and it goes every month and it's like, oh, okay. So that was something that, um, was new behavior that I had to learn, um, because I like went the polar opposite, but you know, I guess in terms of money, since my parents had that, that good relationship with it, it was, it was all right for me too. That's super interesting. Um, I ask every single person on this show, uh, who do you have in your life? Who, I mean, you've talked about a couple people and obviously this is chock full of them, uh, who in your life, um, you know, is an ally to you. Um, who identifies as a woman um, that you've, you know, really learned from who are your female allies? I mean, you know, I've named a lot of these women before. I think it, you know, it just depends on, on the role. I, you know, in the book, you know, I talk a lot about mentorship, but I think the best mentors that I've ever had are the peer to peer mentors because you have that shared connection of, you know, being a professional woman, but also like a deep, deep friendship. So, you know, some of my biggest allies are, you know, my girlfriends, Chris and Julie that live in Wisconsin because they're, they're in financial services. So they, they get the industry that I'm in. Um, And we're also, we came from very different walks of life. I mean, we're, you know, all good Midwest girls and small town upbringings and everything. Um, But we've had different paths, but since we have that shared connection and we're not afraid to tell each other the truth. And so I think that having those friends that can be like, your hair looks like shit today, <laughs> it's okay, you know, um, you know, and, you know, we've been talking about, you know, Colleen Blum. I mean, Colleen's my business partner and, you know, she'll be, she'll tell me what I'm mean girl and, um, you know, and she'll, she'll call me out on things and, you know, she's a, you know, tremendous support for me. And I mean, hell, when my dad was dying, I mean, she was running most of the company because I just, I couldn't. I couldn't do it all. And, you know, and then I have, you know, my girlfriends, Carlene and Nicola that have been my ride or die in New York for, you know, almost two decades. And, um, and they're my family, 
you know, I mean, we're integrated in each other's family. I mean, I'm the godmother of Carlene's two kids. I mean, I, I know Nicola's entire family. I mean, we, you know, go there for barbecues in the summertime and we're just, we're part of the family. And so I think it's like, you know, you have those different people that kind of like take up space in different ways because I think it's unrealistic to make one person everything. And I think you can't make a friend, everything. You can't make a job, everything. You can't make a spouse, everything. It's not fair to those people. Um, and so that's why I think you gotta know who's like, who's your support and tap them in. Like, you know, my friend, Johnny, like he and I have a lot of shared history and we've been friends for, you know, going on 20 years and he's one of my go-to people when it comes to like employment stuff, because he was a, you know, a director at MTV and Nickelodeon. And so he's had huge staffs and, and known how to manage people. And so I might not come to him to talk about whatever, some female issues or touchy feely stuff, but he's going to be the guy that like, I go to and be like, Hey, I'm having the staffing issue or I'm looking to hire somebody or I'm trying to find something, you know, what do you think on these things? So I think, you know, knowing, knowing who to tap in when you need it, I think is, is so beneficial. Yeah. Well, you've done such a beautiful job at building community in your life and around you and really taking that community and the lessons that they've taught you and really implementing those moments into your life. And this is, your book is such a beautiful tribute to all of those people. And I know above all, really your father. Mm -hmm. And, um, I love how you said you were expecting him to take up a chapter and he's taken up the whole book. (laughs) And I, I would encourage you if you're looking to, you know, dive into, oops, sorry, um, dive into something that can really help you embrace your strength, um, really push through those moments that we've been talking about throughout this entire episode to pick up pancakes for Roger. It's such a beautiful Testament to, um, yeah, relationships and guidance and not doing it all yourself. So thank you for number one, writing this book and for talking about all of the things with me today. It's just been so wonderful chatting with you and getting to know you a bit better. You too. Thanks so much, Christina. Yeah. And for those of you listening, um, please never, never forget that your story matters and that your voice matters. And I will see you on the next episode of Growing Women. Growing Woman is brought to you by Amplify Her Media. Amplify Her Media is a media company dedicated to amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Follow along for more at AmplifyHerMedia.com or follow along on Instagram at AmplifyHerMedia.